Today's episode is brought to you by accidentally writing Stage Man in my notes. Let's be real here. That would be an awesome Robot Master design. I know stages and stuff and theaters sounds kind of lame, but also you can go the whole Super Mario Brothers 3, the level itself is a stage and all the scenery is being interacted with, and you can have the audience attacking you during the boss fight. Listen, it'd be really neat. Alternatively, you could just go the other way, I guess, and just make the boss fight the entire stage. Like in 1995's Mega Man The Power Battles, or 1996's Mega Man 2 The Power Fighters, or 2000's Rockman Battle and Fighters, or 2004's Rockman Power Battle Fighters, Power Fighter Battle Fighter 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 Fighter, what am I podcasting for? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Garlisle, and this show is the chronicle of my attempts to play through the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the hundred-plus games in between as I can manage. Today, we've left home consoles and even the PC behind in order to talk about, well, sort of two games, but eventually four, and kind of five, um, the arcade titles... Mega Man The Power Battle, and Mega Man 2 The Power Fighters, which I absolutely assure you I am going to mistakenly somewhere in this episode refer to Power Battle as Power Fighters and vice versa. It's going to happen. Why couldn't they just call it Power Battle 2? Why did they have to change the subtitle? Anyway, yeah, these are arcade games, first and foremost. They were arcade games that actually never left Japan. Capcom had a long history with arcades. They were an arcade company before they were a home console company, even. And some of Capcom's biggest hits, like Street Fighter II, would begin their life as arcade games and eventually be ported over to the consoles. But while Capcom was pretty familiar with taking stuff on arcades and bringing it over to consoles, it was very rare that something that started as a console original would be brought back over to arcades in some form. This is largely because of the fact that these are two very different systems. You don't design a game for a console in the same way that you design a game for an arcade. I mean, this wasn't true in the early days of consoles, because... There was only so much that home consoles could do anyway, you couldn't really get all that ambitious. But in order to create a game that people will want to keep chugging quarters into, you need to approach the game's design a little bit differently. And that's where these games come in. At their core, both of these games, and I'll be talking about them one at a time here shortly, but both of these games still handle like traditional Mega Man games. They're 2D platformers, question mark, where you can jump, you can shoot, you have your charge shot, you have different weapons that you get from bosses. Like, they are very recognizably Mega Man, but they cut out the stages. In these games, you have a set of bosses that you take on in the order of your choosing, and then we're going to go to a boss fight with Wily at the end. It is a whittled down effectively more arcade-digestible play experience, where the goal is no longer just the challenge of beating the game, but rather trying to rack up a high score or beat it faster or whatever. So let's jump right in with Mega Man The Power Battle. First released in 1995 on the CP System 1 board, which was an early model of Capcom arcade unit that visually actually was fairly decent and fairly powerful, but still a little bit limited in terms of power, 
and especially limited kind of on a sound front, the CP System 1 was used for a lot of games like Ghouls and Ghosts and UN Squadron. Most famously, the original release of Street Fighter 2 was on it. A little while later, they would actually re-release this arcade cabinet using the upgraded CP System 2, which had been developed, I think, primarily for Super Street Fighter 2, and would go on to host other major titles like Darkstalkers and X-Men vs. Street Fighter, and even other games that will probably actually be hitting sometime in the series, like Marvel vs. Capcom. Power Battle and Power Fighters, which will succeed it, function in a very simple way. You throw a coin into the arcade machine, and you are immediately prompted, hey, pick your fighter. You have three different playable characters in this game, Mega Man, Proto Man, and Base. In this game, at least, the three characters are actually extremely similar to one another. The difference between them is their dash. Mega Man has the traditional slide, which is the slowest, but keeps him very low to the ground. Proto Man dashes forward with his shield out, and Base does like an air hop dash that goes farther and faster than the other ones, but actually raises his hitbox so you can't really use it to get under things. That's it in terms of difference between the characters. Afterwards, you'll be asked to choose one of three different courses to play through. There is a course for Mega Man 1 and 2, there is a course for Mega Man 3, 4, 5, and 6, and there is a course for Mega Man 7. After this, you go straight into your Robot Master Select, which weirdly in this one is like a roulette thing that you have to time where it stops on like which stage in order to get into the stage you want, which seems extremely unnecessary, but you will fight six different bosses from the games that match the course that you selected. For instance, in the Mega Man 1 and 2 course, you'll fight bosses like Iceman and Gutsman. In the Mega Man 3 through 6 course, you'll fight bosses like Gemini and Magnet Man, Gyro Man, and in the Mega Man 7 course, well, surprise, you get six different bosses from Mega Man 7. After each stage, you get the Robot Master's weapon, and you can go take on the other stages that are available to you, complete all six of them, and you will get to go to Wily's Fortress, where you will take on a mid-boss, depending on which course you were on, and then you will finally fight the Wily machine itself for your final battle. And that's it. That's the structure of the arcade experiences. Just, like, throw in, have a good time, have it be quick. So, what makes... Power Battle different from a traditional Mega Man game? First off, as mentioned, we don't have stages. We just have boss fights. To match with this, as you can expect, every boss is more involved than they were in their traditional games. It's less noticeable with the Mega Man 7 bosses, who were already a little bit more involved, but you get some, some fun change-ups, like Magnet Man teleporting around the arena when he's trying to draw you in, in order to make it easy to just accidentally run into him. Or Plant Man summoning out like little plant turrets that attack you alongside him. I won't go into the specifics of every boss and what they do, because that could make for a really long episode. There is, after all, 18 different bosses represented in this game. For the most part, though, they feel very recognizable and familiar to their original NES or SNES appearances. They've just learned a couple new tricks to keep you on your toes. There are still weapons that you get from them, and you can use them against each other. Weapon energy does refill completely between every match, which is kind of nice, but it is also worth noting that it's very rare that you will defeat a Robot Master entirely just using its weakness weapon, especially as you progress onto later Robot Masters. This game scales it up so that the first Robot Master that you fight actually has a very small health bar, has very few attacks, 
However, fight that Robot Master as your sixth opponent, and they'll have a much larger health bar and a bunch of new attacks and be acting faster. It is very interesting to actually see the difficulty scaled this way, and I can think of at least one other Mega Man game where this actually made it back into the main series as a mechanic. Speaking of things carrying over between stages, you start the game with approximately 16 health. You will recover 2 health between each stage, but that's it. And while you don't really have to worry about things doing more than one damage in this game, the fact that you are on basically a slow slide really encourages you to do your best at all points in the game in order to try to avoid that game over. Of course, it is an arcade game. If you game over, you can always just throw another coin into the machine. Having said that, you're probably going to be throttling your score if you do that. This is an arcade machine, and so part of the intent, of course, is that you compete with other players for high scores, which in this game, your score is based on your time and the amount of damage that you took. But then there is also a competitive ranking for the amount of time that it takes you to clear the game. And if you use a continue, you cannot qualify for the time component. So that's probably kind of where the real competition is. That said, this game kind of throttled its ability to compete on a high score level by making it so that every single one of these courses, despite having wildly different challenges in them, is scored against each other. It's all just one high scoreboard, which, okay... As mentioned, at the end of each course, you do fight a different boss fight. In the Mega Man 1 and 2 course, you will fight a Yellow Devil. Big and imposing, but it's very, very traditional in how he fights. In Mega Man 3 and 6, you will fight the Yellow Devil again, but this time he actually splits himself up into multiple smaller selves that kind of like run around the arena and stuff. In the Mega Man 7 course, for some reason, you'll be fighting the Pumpkin Bot from Shade Man stage, which is um, honestly kind of simple and boring compared to some of the neat stuff the Yellow Devil does. Afterwards, we get to take on Dr. Wily. This Wily machine is like a floating saucer type of thing that also comes with like a pod on top where Wily is situated. It attacks you by like throwing itself around and also with like remote controlled hands that can block your shots. As a neat little thing that you might not even realize is there, while it's all sharing one life bar, whichever half of the machine you deal the most damage to when you are fighting Wily is the half that actually gets destroyed, and then there's actually two different second phases to the fight based on which one is still there, which is kind of actually really neat. Defeat the second phase of Dr. Wily, and we get kind of a mini-game escape sequence, whereas it's Dr. Wily trying to escape in a capsule, and we have a very short time to deal a certain amount of damage to him while he, like, teleports back and forth between two capsules with no warning, so sometimes your attacks just miss. It doesn't actually matter whether you succeed or not, you just get some bonus points if you successfully shoot him down, but that that actually does it. That is what a PlayStation of Mega Man The Power Battles looks like. Every character does have a different ending. In Mega Man's ending, he laments the fact that Dr. Wily has escaped again, saying, well, if things don't change in this fight against Dr. Wily, we're just going to be fighting this fight forever. 
nothing's going to change, which, yeah, if things don't change, things don't change. Surprise. And Light says that as long as robots have to follow the orders of humans, yeah, that's going to be a problem. When we can make a robot that's actually able to think for himself and truly has free will, then we'll have a shot at peace. He is, of course, referring to X here. In Proto Man's ending, it just kind of goes, oh, Proto Man, who is he? What he do? Why he do? We just don't know. Yeah, no, literally, it's just him striking a dramatic pose and the narrator being like, question mark, question mark, question mark. It's painfully mid-90s. Bass, meanwhile, gets the funnest ending, where he pulls Dr. Wily out of his lab, and Wily's throwing a fit, and he's like, what the hell are you doing? And Bass is just like, well, now you know that I'm the strongest, and you don't need your junk robot masters. Just send me after Mega Man. And Wily's like, dude, you got dunked by Mega Man. Go away. Go deal with him. I'm building something even stronger than you right now. What is he building? Well, we'll actually get back to that in Mega Man 2, The Power Fighters. The Power Fighters was the only Mega Man game released in Japan in 1996, and it was released a mere 10 months after the Power Battles. This game uses visuals that are a little bit cleaner because it was intended and designed for the CP System 2, and there are a few additions. The basic structure of this game is the same as the Power Battles. That's why I'm covering them in the same episode. Pick a character, pick a route, Fight six different bosses, depending on which route that was. Fight a final boss. Fight Dr. Wily. Literally the same structure. However, that didn't mean that Power Fighters didn't change up some important things. For one, the various bosses in this game now randomly drop point items or health recovery items when they're stunned. By the way, I didn't even get into this. This is one thing that is, like, kind of a disappointment in both games. If you hit bosses with charge shots, or you hit them with their weakness weapon, it, it tends to stun and knock them down. If you do it right, that's almost long enough for you to charge up your buster again, and it feels like a lot of bosses in this game, especially early on, but just in general, you can really just kind of keep them stun locked, and it feels really weird. They made some subtle changes to the mechanics in the Power Fighters to reduce this from being a thing, but it's still a thing. Yeah, so the score system was changed up a bit thanks to random drops. Stage select actually now displays the robot masters, and there's no more dumb roulette. And also we get advice from Dr. Light while hovering over each of them during our limited time on the screen, which is kind of actually clever, because if you're willing to wait, Dr. Light will reveal some hints about which boss they're actually weak to, saying things like, oh yeah, Shade Man, you should like clip his wings. Bosses in the Power Fighters also have a power-up phase when you drop them down to about half HP. This adds some new moves to the bosses that you wouldn't have seen in earlier phases and earlier versions of the boss fights. Oh, and there's a lot more voice acting. Okay, so yeah, first off, voice acting in a Mega Man game. Uh, some of you are probably sitting there going, Oh no! Already. It wouldn't actually be that bad in this game if it wasn't for the fact that, like, every time you fire a charge shot, you bet you're gonna hear Mega Man going, Charge a shot though! Like, every time? Uh, it, it can drag. Um, what else is different in this? Oh right, characters. Unlike before, while we do still have Mega Man, Proto Man, and Base to select from, we also have a fourth contender in this game, Duo. 
Now, if you're wondering who the hell that is, don't worry. This is going to sound crazy, but this is the game Duo was introduced in. Duo is a bulky, like, not necessarily gigantic, but very, like, heavy upper body type of build robot with spiky shoulder pads. He is the most distinct from the other characters. His dash is actually a shoulder tackle that can do some damage to enemies. His basic weapon is just an extending hand attack that isn't, like, full range and does have the ability to potentially hit a boss multiple times, but, yeah, is limited by that short range. His charge shot is still, like, a full-screen projectile. But those aren't the only differences, because Power Fighters also introduced a, like, special attack onto each character. By releasing your charge shot when you're holding the up button, you will get different special attacks. Mega Man gets, like, a rising uppercut. Proto Man gets, uh, like, a short-range strong attack. Base gets, like, a flip kick thing that he does. And Duo gets, like, a very short-range uppercut that, weirdly, you can then hit, like, the jump button to follow it with, like, a spinning forward jump thing. I, I didn't quite understand Duo's special move and its value. But that's also not the only difference that they introduced. Starting usually around stage 3 or 4, about halfway through these fights, Eddie will drop down and provide a weapon capsule that, if you pick it up, will temporarily lock you into a special weapon that's just going to drain automatically. And that special weapon is your basic buster, but with some form of animal companion assisting you. Mega Man gets Rush, who he can jump on in order to do a high jump, or if you fire your charge buster with Rush out, Rush will turn into the Rush jet and dive himself at the enemies. If you're using base, you get Gospel out. Gospel doesn't provide the jumping benefit of Rush to Mega Man, but does attack alongside base with various projectiles or dash attacks no matter what form of attack base takes. And Proto Man and Duo get to absolutely cheat the system by calling down Beat, who just makes them invincible for several seconds. Talk about a superpower lottery. It does actually make the four different characters in this game more diverse than they were in Power Battle. Also changing things up is the fact that our three different paths are now based on different sub-storylines as opposed to specific games, which means that each path has a mixture of bosses from throughout the entire series' history. It is worth noting that these are not 18 different bosses from Power Battle. Probably only about six, I think, of the bosses in Power Fighters are actually new to Power Fighters. However, first off, they tend to be done really well. Like, Centaur Man is actually really neat as a fight in this. He fights like you actually expect a centaur to fight, which is not to say with time stops and teleportation, but with like charges around the arena and he pulls out a bow and even a halberd as his power-up. Stone Man ditches the weird spiraling stone throwing and instead starts like generating stone walls to defend himself and even like picks them up and whips them at you. And also he goes muda muda like he's Dio Brando or something. And also Pharaoh Man's here and gives up his gimmick of using a charge shot against you in favor of like teleporting around and having like a reflective shield and other like kind of mystical looking stuff. Anyway, I'm just bringing him up so I have an excuse to play his theme for you. Yeah, my bias for Feral Man's theme is known, and it's really good in this game. I'm not even waiting for the end of the episode. Just enjoy.
God, such a good song. I love every version of Feral Man's theme. And can you believe that even with all that added depth, that's not even my favorite version of this song or like one of my favorite tracks out of the soundtrack? Mm. Uh, right, we're not in the music section yet. Um, where was I? Oh, right, other bosses. They did give new moves to all the returning bosses as well. So you get fun stuff like Cutman literally like cutting out a section of the background and diving behind it and then reappearing somewhere else, which, hey, by the way, the sprite art in this game is pretty nice and smooth, and you can tell that arcade machines at this time were ahead of the SNES's capabilities. The backgrounds, though, really show it and are some choice 2D arcade Capcom words. They just did some really great work on that in both battle and fighters. Like, I want to stress that. This game does look really good. Where was I? Anyway, yeah, three different routes. Search for Wily, search for Roll, and recover the missing parts. It is worth noting that sometime after the second boss in each route, one of the bosses at random is going to allow you to complete this objective. And when you do, you will actually get a permanent power-up. Searching for Wily, for instance, once you do find him, or, well, his fake, you'll get an upgrade that enhances the special attack of the various characters. For instance, like Mega Man's uppercut will now deliver multiple hits to a target that he catches. In Recover the Lost Parts, once you do manage to find them off whichever random boss, you'll get the ability to super jump by holding up and jumping, and it doesn't really matter that much. And when searching for Roll, once you find her, she'll give you an upgrade that doubles the length of your weapon energy gauge, which is absolutely busted. Duo and Proto Man, once they get this upgrade, if they get the Eddie capsule in a stage, are basically going to be invincible for the rest of the fight, because that's now how long that invincibility lasts. <laughs> you do get some different bosses as well during the Wily's Fortress in each one. In the Search for Wily route, you'll be fighting the Road Roller thing from the opening stage of Seven. In Search for Roll, you'll be fighting the Yellow Devil as before, who's not quite as crazy as he was in some of the first game's attacks, but is still doing some interesting stuff in terms of like stretching his body out. And if you take the Recover the Lost Parts route, you will be fighting the Dragon from Mega Man 2. You know, that god-awful thing that chased you down. Yeah. The Wily Machine... At the end of the game, this time is just a one-phase fight, and then you get a Wily escape sequence. This time, each route has the Wily machine assisted by a different respawning regular enemy from the games. That does actually, to some decent amount, actually kind of change up the fight, but not a huge amount. Was there anything else that I needed to mention? Yeah, there's the endings, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Let's just stop and review these games at this point. So here's the thing that has to be noticed about fighters and battle. I did mention that, in part, the bosses having this flinching system does kind of turn some of them into jokes. Like, sometimes it's really, really bad. When you fight the Wily Machine at the end of Fighters, as long as you just keep slapping it in the face with whichever weapon is its weakness from the path that you're on, it's just going to spend basically the entire fight just constantly getting knocked out and unable to actually attack you. And 
that can kind of cheapen a lot of the fights, especially for a game that is supposed to be oriented around the boss fights. And another problem that crops up because of this boss fight-centric design, a lot of Mega Man weapons are very noticeable, not just because they work on a boss, but because they are interesting to use in a stage environment. For instance, take the ability of the Shadow Blade to fire in multiple different directions. That's not as important when 90% of the time, the direction it needs to fire is straight ahead because that's where the boss is relative to you. You don't get enemies flying in from all different corners of the screen that you have to adapt to, or in locations that are just tough for you to deal with. And it's not like they didn't try to do, like, a decent variety of different weapons in some ways, and they did change up several weapons to try to fit this game a little bit better. Gutsman is here, for instance. Gutsman's super arm would be literally useless in this game, so they changed the super arm so that it involves throwing a large boulder at your opponent as kind of a lobbed shot. The centaur flash is gone, because hitting an enemy anywhere it is on the screen would be kind of silly for an arcade challenge, so they changed it to the centaur arrow to take off the fact that centaur man has a bow now, so you fire an arrow shot. But... <sighs> These weapons just aren't interesting to use within this context, and I don't necessarily know if that's an easily solvable problem, but the weapons literally just feel like gauges on a little bit stronger damaging attack, as opposed to, like, the strategic and thoughtful tools that they are in a lot of the Mega Man games. That's kind of why I don't think these games really work. Like, they're fun enough as what they are, and they have all the trappings of Mega Man games in many ways, but they don't succeed at doing the parts of Mega Man that are really neat. And that's really unfortunate. Still, these games are part of Mega Man canon, so we're not done talking about them as purely on the arcade, because let's talk about the other ways that you can play this game. There have been three releases of Mega Man The Power Battle and Mega Man 2 The Power Fighters on different consoles. Hear that? That is the Neo Geo Pocket Color release, Rockman Battle and Fighters from 2000. It's the only Mega Man title to ever appear on any of the Neo Geo systems, as far as I can remember, and I kind of wish I had more of an excuse to actually talk about Neo Geo systems, because it would give me an excuse to go learn about them. But no, this is, this is the only one, I'm pretty sure, on a Neo Geo system. The Neo Geo Pocket Color, as the name kind of suggests, was a competitor to the Game Boy Color. It is a small, portable system. Power Battle and Power Fighters were demade down into 8-bit in order to fit on the system. Now, it did implement a couple of changes. For instance, there is now some difficulty settings, and there's like a database that you can update with descriptions of the different Robot Masters after you successfully get a perfect on them one time. And I do have to say, like, 
for what this game actually was, they did an exceptional job actually bringing it down to this little tiny system. Now, it doesn't look perfect. The backgrounds look really nice, but the sprites are limited to a whopping three colors, which really limits how good this game could potentially have looked. Because you have to remember, even classic NES sprites were still limited to four colors. But by pulling some tricks, like looking to the world games for inspiration and moving the UI to be just flat bars at the top and the bottom instead of overlays, it's actually able to be a surprisingly faithful rendition in terms of mechanics, and is actually really respectable for that reason. But unfortunately, the game does have some issues. There's not a whole lot of feedback on like the sound and visual front anymore for dealing or taking damage. And instead of quick-swapping weapons with certain buttons, now you have to actually pause the game and access a menu to swap weapons, which, yeah, that's, that's more traditional Mega Man, yes, but it also is a slower pace. Oh, and the soundtrack's got awful. There's maybe 10 total tracks in the entire soundtrack. It's not that it is bad quality for what is there. It's about the fact that basically every single stage you go through is going to have the same music track. That starts to drag really quick. But maybe you don't want your home console version to be stripped down. The next best way to play the game is on the PlayStation 2, GameCube, or Xbox release Mega Man Anniversary Collection which was a re-release that included all eight of the classic Mega Man games at the time, plus a handful of pieces of bonus unlockable material, like some bonus songs and stuff, and also the first and actually only North American release of the Power Battles and the Power Fighters. And yes, these versions of the game were completely localized. The only suffering point to this is that this release of the Power Battles is using the CP System 1 soundtrack, which is kind of the inferior one, but I mean, it's better than not getting it at all. Finally, in 2004, on the PlayStation 2, Rockman Power Battle Fighters was released. This was a Japan-only release that was explicitly just these two games put together on a single disc with some added options, so that as a player you could access the kind of like arcade console controls for difficulty and stuff like, did you want the players to have extra lives, did you want to shorten the game timer, the ability to remap your controls, and also a couple extra special features that were added. The first, and most immediately noticeable, is Versus Mode. I will say this, the arcade releases of this game did actually allow you to play these games co-op. You could play one character, and your partner could play another character, and you wouldn't be fighting each other, though you might be fighting to get the kills on bosses for bonus points. Power Battle Fighters, however, actually added a one-on-one -on -one versus mode that you could access, where you played as the characters in each game, and you just got different arsenals and could throw them at each other. It isn't really designed around that, but it was still like a really nifty addition. Another addition is that once you have beaten each game, there is what is referred to as Extreme Mode Unlocked, and this is essentially a marathon mode, where you fight all 18 Robot Masters in a random order, then the three Path Bosses, and then the Wily Machine at the end for a grand total of a 22-boss marathon. Complete 
that and you get the extra options menu which is kind of like a fun cheat menu where you get some fun things like the ability to turn on infinite weapon ammo or to increase the game's native running speed for extra challenge or to change it to an english localization yeah for some reason despite this being a japan only release there is a full english version of this game built into this game if you can get this running this is almost certainly the ideal way to play the games Anyway, where was I? Oh, right! I diverted from all of that so that I could specifically leave talking about the endings for last. So, let's roll back to the Power Fighters' ending. First, Mega Man's ending. Mega Man tells Dr. Wily, hey, I'm fighting for peace for humans and robots. And Dr. Wily pulls the whole, like, oh, really, peace? Well, then why are you destroying my robots, you hypocrite? We're not so different. And, of course, Mega Man, being a traditional good guy hero, absolutely falls for the we're not so different bullshit. It takes everybody jumping in and reminding him, like, hey, listen, no, stopping somebody who is invoking destruction is not the same as doing that destruction yourself. Like, come on. It lasts just long enough for Wily to escape, and everybody's all like, oh, dang it, we'll get him next time. Proto Man's ending isn't actually quite as mysterious as before, and gives us a little bit of a glimpse into Proto Man's backstory. Dr. Light finds Proto Man and is like, hey, listen, like, I'm really glad you're doing okay. Your reactor's still on the fritz a little bit. I know you don't really trust me anymore, but I still need you to come back and, like, get repaired, or you might just stop working at some point. That's something that hasn't been really dug into in the past, is why Proto Man left Dr. Light. It's kind of addressed here, it's not outright stated, but Proto Man is implied to have, like, freer will than many other robots. Not like X-level freedom, but when Dr. Light said, hey, I need to shut you down for repairs, Proto Man apparently freaked out and said, like, no, you're not shutting me down, and left. And this is the first time that that really comes up in any of the games. Base's ending is still so good. It is literally just an angsty teenager fighting with his dad. Like, you should just go crawl in a hole. I think I regret creating you. You creating somebody as strong as me must have been an accident. Yeah, that's right. You were an accident. Like, that is what they get up to. Apparently, Base was Wily's attempt to create a Mega Man clone using his newly developed energy source of Basedium. Hold on, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Basenium, Basenium. It isn't just that that happens. Wily goes, well, listen, you're not going to be the best for long. I'm creating a much more powerful robot. It and another project that Dr. Wily are working on are going to be able to take over the world for him someday. And as he says this, we get a glimpse of an in-development zero. This was the game that pretty much confirmed, hey, what they hinted at in X2, when Sigma was calling Zero the last of the Doctor's creations, yeah, no, Zero was made by Dr. Wily. This is the game that confirms it. And finally, you're probably wondering about our newcomer, Duo. Duo goes to Dr. Light, and he's like, well, you and Mega Man once saved me, and I just wanted to thank you, and now my debt's repaid. Wait, what? Oh, yes, and I found the alien energy on Earth. But it's too dangerous to leave here, so I'll be bringing it home. 
Um, and as you're probably sitting there going, excuse me, what the hell? The narrator starts going like, oh, who is this duo? What the heck was he talking about? Alien energy and being saved by Mega Man. Play Mega Man 8 to find out. Yep. So this game is technically sort of a sequel in terms of the timeline to Mega Man 8. Mega Man 8 had not released yet, and so they decided to bait the events of Mega Man 8 in Duo's ending. I guess Mega Man 8 should probably be the next game we play. But first, music before we leave that behind. Oh my god, I'm so glad to say that, okay, like, yeah... The CP System 1 soundboard was not great. It was still using a very MIDI-style implementation, like very, very audibly MIDI-style, almost Genesis-level. The CP System 2, meanwhile, is able to do some really nice music. And let me tell you, as a result, the soundtracks to these games are actually really, really nice. Almost every single track in here is largely just a rearrangement of different tracks that we've already heard. Like, really, there's very little original on this soundtrack, but that's okay. Because just, it is nice for once to actually be struggling to narrow it down to three instead of find three that I really like. So, what are some of my favorites from this one? First, we'll highlight Crashman's theme from The Power Battle. This one is a good one to illustrate actually just how much of a sound chip difference the CP1 versus CP2 upgrade meant. The CP System 1 version of this track is not particularly noticeable, and I'll kick off with it. The CP System 2 version injects some powerful jazz using actual instrumentation, and it's a good take. The next track I want to highlight is Heatman from the Power Fighters. This is some drum and bass jam. It isn't purely just those elements, there's some electronic worked into it, but it takes what was otherwise actually kind of a, I mean, alright, but not necessarily super remarkable track in the original NES release, and delivers on it in a way that the NES could not have. Finally, 
the Power Fighters' version of Shade Man's theme. Now, I, I'm all right with Shade Man's theme to begin with. It's a pretty decent track. It has some pretty good, solid atmosphere. This remix of it has just this rolling groove to it. Yeah, it's missing the atmospheric creepiness that's kind of present in the original, but we're not doing the original stage. We're just looking for a battle theme, and we come up with something that sounds like it would fit right at home in a Sonic soundtrack, and man, Sonic soundtracks are really heckin' good. So, so is this. And that's it. That's Mega Man, the Power Fighter, Battle Fighter, and Fighter Fighter. As mentioned, next episode, I'll be booting up Mega Man 8, and we're going to tackle Dr. Wowie. Yep, we're getting into that era. Oh boy. In the meantime, if you've wanted to get in touch with the show, you can send an email to whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com. Hit up the Twitter at what am I podcast for? That's the number four. Stop by waipf.podbean.com for the latest episodes, RSS feeds, or use your podcast service of choice to keep listening. I'd greatly appreciate it. Until next time, I've been Garlisle, and just remember, Face is really just an angry, rebellious teenager, and that's kind of great. The only difference between them in terms of their functionality is, well, how they look. Well, that's not functionality.